0: Guys and gals, we are back and we are on track. Any little hiccup we may have seen while recording last week when I was stranded in Colombia due to a COVID scare is now off the menu because we're back on to what we were originally planning for. No more surprises, no more random titles out of nowhere. We are focusing on what we've been promising you now for two fucking weeks. And it's goddamn American Gothic. Troy, what are
1: your thoughts? Uh, on American Gothic or on your COVID trip? No,
0: well, both. I would love to hear you talk about me. But you know, right. probably, likely more uh, American Gothic.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I think, though, you being stranded in columbia for that week gave us a really good episode when we talked about just out of the blue a random memorial valley massacre which i don't even know where that came from why we why we picked it but but uh we had a lot of fun with that so we did
0: we did that movie moved us in ways i never anticipated being moved uh but you know what i i feel that episode perfectly balances with this one because last week we gave you a film that most would genuinely consider i would say a pretty bad movie, Um, no matter how you shake it. At the end of the day, (laughs) Memorial Valley Massacre um, isn't necessarily a fine piece of cinema, though entertaining it may be. This film, however, American Gothic, is a title that I think is going to surprise first-time viewers' In way more ways than they would anticipate. This movie is very unique.
1: I, I agree. I think that, again, and we say this with every episode, but if you have not seen this movie, please stop listening and seek it out. It's, it's pretty easy to find. And, and give it a watch because we are spoiling. And this movie does have, I would say it's sort of a twist ending um uh, so you yeah and we're gonna be spoiling that not as not as an elaborate twist ending as like happy birthday to me where you have like realistic latex masks and stuff like that but it still is a twist ending that, that you really don't see coming um so yeah if you haven't seen it watch it now
0: yeah, this film, you know, this film is, it manages to follow a lot of, like, the standard tropes that one would anticipate from this genre. You know, you've got kind of a typical group of, of friends in a typical situation where they're stranded. stranded um, and, and, of course, they encounter a, a group of foes. I'm keeping it vague. But, you know, it hits all the beats. But what it manages to do uh, with that material is make something really unique. Um, and it it definitely stands on its own two feet as its own, uh, as its own thing. I can't relate a lot of elements of this film to other movies within the genre. It is weird. It's crazy. It's batshit. I'm so excited to discuss it with you. Uh, before we dive in, let me just do a checkup. How are you? How are things? And what's new?
1: Oh, things are great. Uh, you're just chugging along, uh, making it to the end of the school year. I've I've been very, very busy actually, watching and reading um, a lot of the submitted films and screenplays for the houston horror film festival um because as of recording we're recording this on monday the 26th this is today's the final entry deadline to submit films and screenplays so we have had a tremendous amount of films and screenplays submitted i do have judges in place that watch the films as well but i also go through it and and watch them and and read the screenplays to help kind of make the decisions as far as what's going to get accepted Uh, and build the film festival schedule. So I've been extremely busy with that because I honestly did not think that we were going to have a large amount of films or screenplays submitted this year because of COVID. However, we have way more submissions than we did last year. And I'm overwhelmed with the quality of the films that have been submitted. So I have to give huge kudos to filmmakers who have been making films uh, and writing these past this past year, year and a half, because I've been blown away by the submissions. So that's what I've been busy doing. Um, what about you? Well, first, let me just say, I, building off of that, because um, you
0: know I follow your film festival. Um, how many years is this now? It's I, I know it's relatively new, but this is the second, the third.
1: This is officially the second year. Yeah, la- second. last year was our first year. We, however, we went pure virtual, uh, like many film festivals did um so this year this june is the actual first like live in person year so it's kind of a big deal that kind of a big deal
0: yeah um i'm I'm super impressed by and i'm not just saying this because troy is my friend i'm not just saying this because we share a podcast um the lineup of the guests that you guys have is really honestly for a second year super impressive anyone that's listening to this uh, don't just take my word for it in the, the words of Love Burton. Um, please, like, check out this film festival. They've got, like, a really amazing lineup of celebrities. They have the entire cast of the Rob Zombie Halloween remake, including Daniel Harris, with a great photo opportunity, um, by Ling. Is there from fucking dumplings, which I love dumplings. Um, so yeah, it's just what a lineup. I'm super impressed by what you guys have pulled off. And like, if this is your second year, I'm, I'm curious. You're five. I feel like, I feel like this film festival is going to become like one of the pinnacle horror festivals over the course of the year for fans in general. So
1: yes, and that is the goal. And I have to, yeah, I mean, I, I give a lot of. Uh, huge, huge, huge thanks to uh, and support to my partner Tony, who is the has done a wonderful job with with the guest lineup and and putting out the promotional material and all that fun stuff. So without him yeah this it wouldn't be anywhere near what it is uh but yeah but this isn't a commercial for that specifically oh no it's uh, a light,
0: light a light discussion <laughs> if you yes
1: if you were in the Houston area or anywhere and, and you want to come out you know just go to com. look us up on facebook and find out all about tickets yeah the lineup is exceptional i'm ex- i'm just blown away um yeah and i'm trying to push troy
0: to release a um the boys of of the Houston Horror Fest a yearly calendar. Yeah. <laughs> because. The the men the men handling this this film festival are beautiful. Oh. You two, oh, you got the you cover all the bases, you guys. Oh. Uh, but, but, seriously, that. think about it. You you guys covered in blood in briefs holding a pumpkin for Halloween. Well, I, I, it'd be great.
1: I think I think that only that. Hey, no, no, no. <laughs> first though, Roger. First, before I do any photo op like that, we have to have the matching Fanny dress photo op.
0: Oh my Boy. god! <laughs> this is we are not bullshitting. This came up we are hoping to recreate the finale 15 minutes <laughs> of this movie in our first photo promotion shoot. It is, so, uh, yeah it'll
1: be our it'll be the new promo art for our yeah. podcast
0: yeah if any photographers out there want to be create the vision behind this and if there are any seamstresses <laughs> who want to make us matching dresses for two grown men uh, please reach out <laughs> we need just... yes, yes i'm for it i'm for it me too me too and i'm seriously i'm so ready to discuss this film um Uh, that uh, I don't often watch these films through more than twice. I'll normally watch it once and then I'll go back and like watch it so I can really comb through with notes. But this movie, like I can watch this movie on repeat Uh so easily because it's just, uh, uh, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like this film. So let's dive into this. um, And, just kind of get into the meat and bones of everything. Um, one of the main reasons I think that this film right out off the bat is, is such a strong entity is because it has an unusually strong cast. Um, this film boasts a ton of actors who are like Academy Award nominees. It boasts, uh, Yvonne DeCarlo, uh, who was in the Munsters, like iconic actress. It boasts, um, Rod, St- uh, is it Steiger? Is that how you pronounce the last name? Rod I don't want i want i to sure say it right. Steiger, yeah. I was going to say Steger. That's the Cle- the sharp Cleveland syllable, sorry. Rob Steiger, uh, who is uh, an Academy Award winner, yeah. I believe. Yeah, see,
1: yes, he won Best Actor for In the Heat of the Night. In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. What a classic. Right?
0: Um, but yeah, this, I mean, the cast is just insane and super talented. And so because of that, it makes for some really great dramatic moments in the midst of all of the absurdity. But aside from having a really fantastic cast, this film is also just really well-directed by John Hugh. And right off the bat, you can see that this movie, it's not just (laughs) a movie. This is a film. This is shot in a very cinematic manner. It is... So beautiful. Uh, The the opening sequence even, it opens in a hospital with very little background. They kind of spoon-feed you this backstory of the female lead um, whose name is, is it Cheryl? I believe it's Cheryl. Cynthia. Cheryl was (laughs) last week, and Cheryl last week was very disposable. Cynthia (laughs) is quite an interesting character. She's not necessarily like what I would say um, the strongest final girl by any means, but her backstory is very interesting.
1: Yes. Uh, I agree with you. The, I've, I'm not very uh, enamored with the actress who plays Cynthia. I, I feel like she is kind of flat. And if it was one of my only gripes about the film, I, I think it's it's the lead actress. I feel like her performance is just kind of flat. She is She's the lead character in the film, but she is like the least memorable. I, I don't, there's just some, there's an imbalance between like her performance compared to what's going on around her. It's almost like she's, she's very, very, very subdued through the whole film, which I I know is supposed to be intentional based on the backstory, but it's just, I think distracting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think what doesn't help, or I guess what isn't in her favor is the fact that like the other so it's a, it's a very standard setup. It's three couples. You get three couples. Yeah, and and the, ca- the couples that we have um, are, for the most part, all the characters are pretty dynamic. It's not like you get a ton of backstory on all the characters, but the two other girls have very defined personalities. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and you have, like, Lynn, who's the token bitch, but she's also, like, the smart character. Uh, she's the one who sees through ev- all the bullshit that's going on, uh, as you'll learn. Um, and then you have Terry, who is very much like... I mean, honestly, she fits all of the final girl. She checks the boxes off yes. very well. She's a strong female. So I think one of the things that doesn't do Cynthia um, right is the fact that, you know, her character is kind of coping through this traumatic situation that you learn of over the course of the film, um, and they make her very kind of, almost like kind of comatose in some situations. <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't process grief well, and when you have her up alongside two very strong females, um, it does create an imbalance.
1: Yes, I, I, would, I would agree with that. And we're going to get to all that. So basically, yes, the film opens up in this very, uh, with this very just like blatant, like right away, you are you know you're in, a, in an institution. It's a shot of Cynthia sitting on the edge of the bed getting ready to be released. And the doctor and her, I guess it's her husband or boyfriend. I'm assuming they're married because they lived together and they had a baby, but maybe not. I don't know. But his name is Jeff. And uh they are kind of down the hall talking about Cynthia's release, that she's ready to be released. Um, she's 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 cured for the most part, even though they say that's not really a word they like to use in psychology. But she's ready to be, her, she's ready to go. And Jeff immediately wants to take her on a trip. And the doctor is like, yeah, that's awesome. Go on a trip with her. However, please only make her or put her around people that she's comfortable with which is a little tad bit of foreshadowing because while they go on the trip, she goes on the trip with people that she's comfortable with what ends up happening when they get to the meat of the film is you're surrounded by people that I don't think anybody would be comfortable with. Uh, So yeah. And then, so you're kind of like, you're, you're kind of drawn in wondering, okay, what is this girl's deal? What, why was she in a psychiatric hospital? And then the film kind of kicks into gear where they, they load the plane and this is when you're introduced to the other two couples. Um, like you said, there's Lynn and her boyfriend Rob, mm-hmm. and then Terry, Terry and Paul. And Paul, Paul, who like is like we talk about worth disposable, worthless characters. That's like yeah, yeah. He disappears for the entire film. Yeah. Huh?
0: <laughs> Real quick, one thing I want to acknowledge right in the opening of the movie because it's something that is a I think goes to show that this movie has significantly more thought into it within the first frame of the movie has more thought in it than referencing like a film like the last one that we reviewed memorial valley massacre the first shot in this movie is a shot of um cynthia with the bars of what appears to be a cradle looking through almost as though it's looking through um like a a a baby's cradle or you know uh, um like you see like the rods of of what would be you know, a baby's bassinet or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a really interesting shot because it kind of racks focus on her, but the shot is, in, in, in the first shot of the movie, very telling. And you'll understand why as we discuss this further. But I, I love how right off the bat, looking back on this movie, the first frame is well thought out, and I appreciate that. So, yeah, you, you meet all the, the characters. Um, they load up into a plane. They take off. And uh, interesting shot choices is you get this really like long shot of the plane uh flying to its destination with a really great score um at first it sounds really upbeat but all of a sudden you get this great harmonica coming in
1: yeah i i actually put i have a note because i thought that when the when the plane first starts going when when we get the the shot of it taking off and it's going away from the city and you just get a bunch of different shots of the plane in the air which is again for this type of movie I mean that's pretty um, cinematic you don't see that in a lot of slasher films but um, the score is kind of like very dancey and just almost doesn't even fit the tone of the movie and the credits are playing over the But then as the, as the plane goes and you can see it's getting w- way more out into civilization or away from civilization. And it's like over the, over the ocean now. And there's just all these secluded islands, the scores. And I thought this was brilliant, the score sort of changes to like the harmonica, like American backwoods, Southern harmonica playing uh, which i thought was really a nice touch as, as because as they get farther away from civilization the the score changes into something that's more deliverance like with the harmonica and it's really an interesting touch yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah no they um they do a really great job with establishing pretty quick that um that uh, this movie has a budget I mean this movie it's uh the score is grand these these uh aerial shots are grand uh it, it's just really uh, a strong opening and it, it cuts to this like uh, one shot take of the of the plane where it starts smoking and it, it does a full curve and it does a water landing and they end up coming ashore on what is an island and um, yeah uh, the, the, the plane goes down but like they're able to land it safely but they don't really know where they are and so they have to get out of the plane and um it's Paul who Cynthia's boyfriend is Paul. No, it's Jeff. I'm sorry. Jeff is the, the is the is the um, flying the plane, and so basically he starts going through it, and he realizes that the plane has had an electrical burnout, um, and it's something nothing's working. It's out of his control. Uh, so they end up uh, realizing that they're trapped on the island for the night.
1: Yeah, they are trapped on the island for the night. Of course, this is when we get some characterization with with Lynn being kind of the the bitchy character of the group because she's like, I want to know where I'm at. Where am I? You know, where the hell are we? And they're like, just calm down. It's going to be okay. Um, And then they start playing music and dancing around and having a good time. And next thing you know, it's morning. And this is when we get like, uh, the first uh, one of Cynthia's first flashback scenes, there's a lot of flashback scenes in this film that, that put together or piece together what happened with, with Cynthia and why she was in the uh asylum in the first place, because Terry wants to go scuba diving uh and ask Cynthia to go. And this is like when Cynthia has this flashback and it's a flashback of her just kind of innocently washing her, giving her baby a bath. Okay. Um And, At this point, it's just a short little flashback, literally, of her giving the baby a bath. So we're not giving a lot of information, but we're like, okay, now we know she had a baby. Something's up. And then we do find out the plane is dead. so They literally are stranded. And so they're going to have to kind of figure out what's going on on this island. In the meantime, Terry and Cynthia are... By the edge of the ocean, I guess it's an ocean, right? And and Terry's walking on a the rocks, and she slips and smashes her head on the rock, and then falls into the water. And Cynthia, being the wonderful friend that she is, just sits there and stares at her. It <laughs> doesn't even try to help her, uh, and has another one of her flashbacks. And this flashback is we find out what happens to the baby. Yeah,
0: the the whole backstory as we are against being spoon-fed it over the course of mostly the opening of the film, but over the course of the first 20 minutes, we really get an idea of what happened um, for Cynthia. You know what? I see a lot of, I see influences of this whole character development used in later films. And one movie that really started to come to mind um, was The Descent. Do you see what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? This Mm -hmm. character who is triggered by these, memories of what we learn is that that she took a phone call, left the baby in the tub. The baby obviously drowned. You don't see it. It, You know This movie does a really good job of of implying there's a lot of cutaways, but a lot of the gore, you do get aftermath. But things like this, you don't get really graphic imagery. Instead, you get good reactional shots, uh, good score, good timing. It's done really well. And so you learn that she took a phone call, the sauce on the stove started boiling over. She just got distracted. And and that the baby drowned to death, and like that hits home because that is something I know that is um, a for for um, um, for someone like you know a mother for any mother that, that what a horrible uh, sensation to have to carry that with you you know and to be triggered by these things and the feelings of guilt that come with that that does get carried uh, through with this character you see that she is very much scarred and damaged and not I, I don't want to say she's not strong but she's not recovered from this trauma
1: yeah, she really she blames herself Uh, and you know i mean that would be a very traumatic thing to have happen so you know when her when she sees her friend fall into the into the water she literally is frozen because she's having that intense flashback and she's seeing a body floating in water is obviously triggering her of, cause then it cuts to the flashback again. And she walks into the bathroom and just screams it like this blood curling, painful howl. We don't see the baby, like you said, but we know what happened. So that is why she doesn't help. Um, Terry. It's she's frozen with this, with this flashback and, and this she's overcome with emotion. Luckily though, Jeff, her husband or boyfriend comes, he, he hears the fact that someone fell in the water. He comes rushing at to help. He jumps in, gets Terry out of the, the water, but then he does something that I think is kind of a dick move. He's, he like starts yelling at Cynthia, like, why didn't you help her? And in my mind, like, you, he should know. You you do know your wife found your baby drowned and she is dealing with some issues. So why are you yelling at her? Yeah. You know, Yeah, I mean, but he is
0: quick to realize, because um, she does start to respond very poorly, obviously, as, as, as one would. But, in, I mean, in her situation, it's pretty clear that she's having, a um, like, almost like a PTSD trauma trigger moment. And so he's pretty quickly is like, okay, okay, like, I get it. You know, he... Uh, they realize that she's not in the right state of mind.
1: And, well, because because she yeah because she starts screaming, she's dead. She's dead. I mean, obviously, Terry's not dead, but she's remembering the bait. It's like she, her mind. She's back to the day where she finds her dead her dead baby. And yeah, that's very yeah. I, I love the descent kind of parallel, but also it also parallels another movie that did this for, virtually the same thing. as, uh, what was it? Um, Lars Van Trier, Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And the thing is.
0: Uh, we've talked about a lot of films um where I would say like movies that have come after have done it better. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that this is a film that where this does it better,, uh, but it does' it does this this whole what has become a trope? and I, I, I use that word fondly. Uh, but' it's something we've seen in other films. It, it does it pretty well. what it meant just to do is um, you know her character overall, if you look at her as a final girl, as I said earlier, she's not she's not my favorite. She's not the strongest, but what she is is complex, and the complexity gives you a, a sympathy towards this character because they do a very good job of using this character arc as being something to explain her rationale, her reasoning, and her evolution.
1: I agree. I I just personally, this is just me, I don't I wish they would have cast a little bit more of a dynamic actress. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying more, I
0: guess, in regards of the how they handle the character, and not necessarily the, the performance.
1: Yes, yeah. the character is a—it's a great character, very nuanced, yes. very layered, lots of things going on under the surface. But I don't think the actress brought that out in the in in the way that it could have been. I don't know. I mean, but you're you you know, it's not really her fault. But she's acting against you know an Oscar-winning actor and an Oscar-nominated actor and Yvonne De Carlo. So. Um, I think the intention obviously was purposely to make the the family that they meet the the more dynamic and interesting character yeah it
0: almost rings of, of like of a house of a thousand corpses in a way you know how like the the kids in house of a thousand corpses are not so much the focus once you meet the family the family is the focus it's not in this it, it's not like you're following the heroes of the movie and putting all of your attention to them as soon as you meet the villains they are the ones that are all eyes on them. You know what I mean? They are, like you said, the dynamic characters in the film.
1: And we're getting there because they all go back to the, to the campsite. And this is when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeff is like, okay, we need to go explore this Island because we need to find a way off. Are, are the, the, the planes dead? We, we need to go. So this is when they send this Paul character who literally has had like two lines in the entire film so far. They're like, Oh, Paul, you stay here and watch the watch the plane we're going to go look for this house and lit, and he's never seen again until the end of the film yeah. like he's a non-player they don't even go check on him or anything which is interesting um because they stay anyway so we'll get there they they go explore the woods and luck have it what do they find in the middle of this island well they are they're, they're strolling through
0: this massive island which is honestly quite beautiful again in comparison to Last week, and how we were kind of mm. making fun of uh, the location, the venue choice for um, for Memorial Valley Massacre, and how it was not effective. Well, let's we're now on the opposite side of the spectrum. This island is beautiful, and it is it is very textured and mountainous at times, and and rocky, and there's all kinds of different trees, and it's it's just lush. It's so effective. It's such a great
1: venue, uh, and it's it's secluded, it's secluded. very secluded. It's, yeah, it's
0: they did they. Well, well I was gonna say, I, I said venue. I meant setting. It's just the uh, whereas the last the setting for the last uh, review was just it's, in a lot of ways it took away from the experience because it was bland. This I don't care. If they're only in one location, the whole film it is. Um, it has so much to it. There's so much to explore. It makes me feel like they are very much lost because this is a big island and there's a lot to it. And uh, as as they're wandering the shore, they come aside, uh, or they come upon a a beautiful old cabin out of fucking nowhere. Mm-hmm.
1: They do, they do. It's a it's a it's a pretty decent sized cabin ha- house and they go to proceed they they i think they do knock but nobody answers so then they just happen they just let themselves in and they immediately like just start going through going through the stuff in the house and making fun of the decor because the inside of this house the interior of the, this house is very outdated it looks like it's something out of the 1920s they do notice like magazines laying around that are that are from like the 30s like the old saturday evening posts that are still just prominently out and they put a they have one of those old um, gramophones record players and they put a they just start playing that and proceed to just like go through the closet and put clothes on and start dancing around and really just kind of making themselves right at home.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that they believe that this house has to be abandoned. I think so. Um, because, yeah, they, they kind of make a, a joke out of all of it. And they're, they are having they're doing a whole Charleston dance number that goes on longer than anticipated. They're wearing hats. They're finding scarves. And as they turn around and in the doorway, we are introduced to Ma and fucking Pa.
1: Ma and Pa. Well, before that, we have Cynthia goes off on her own, and she she finds a, a a bedroom downstairs that she's exploring, and it's it's all like old fashioned children's toys, and like this um crib that is covered with a a sheet. It looks like, but then we cut back up, and yeah, mom and Paul are in the doorway.
0: Yeah, and and she's so Cynthia is the only character that is not startled by Ma and Pa's entrance. She's not aware of it. And so these two come into their home, they close the door behind them, and they are immediately very foreboding. Mm-hmm. And and, um, and I have to say, first scene, right off the introduction, these make for two of the most interesting and unique, and honestly, two of my favorite villains from a horror movie like that I can think of And out of a film that I've seen in recent memory. Um, These two are fantastic. They are basically preserved in like the 1920s. And they live by the good book. And everything they do has a religious connotation. And it is so uncomfortable because instead of losing their shit that there's people in their house ma is immediately very receptive to the children the children Mm -hmm. and the, the 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 um the friends and she basically welcomes them into the home it's very um very uh uncomfortable because you you can tell right away that these two are um they have ulterior motives
1: yeah, mom. Mom is played by Yvonne De Carlo, Lily Monster. She is very. She tries to be very welcoming. Um, she doesn't come across quite as foreboding as Pa does because Pa just the whole time isn't isn't having it. Like you can tell by the expression, the expressions on his face that he is very not happy that these people are in his house. Which I understand. I mean, coming home, um, and just seeing. People in your house just going through your stuff and dancing around and breaking stuff. That'd be very, you know, I, I wouldn't be happy about that. But I also want to know, like, where were they at? Like, where were they coming from? I have the yeah, same question. Yeah, like where were they? At? I mean, <laughs> as you as the movie goes on, you realize like there's no where there's there's like no place on the island that there's like not a grocery store. They weren't at the store. They weren't at church. I just want to know where they were coming from because the rest of the film, they're like in the house the entire time. I mean, I just I know it makes obviously you have to have an entrance but that was i don't know why i thought about them i wonder where they were coming from hmm uh, because they're dressed in like you know they're dressed like they just came from going to church or going to the stove it's their sunday best and i'm like where were yeah, you at yeah. okay but yeah. Pa-, yeah pa is not having it and in fact his first question is or his first statement is you never said where you came from
0: yeah Pa is um cold from the get-go and uh, and, and uh, stoic and he is not a warm fellow by any means. Uh, they're kind of like Ma, Ma puts on all the kind of the showmanship and the pizzazz. she's very welcoming. she's very loving but Pa like he doesn't try to mask it. He's not happy these kids are in his house. He doesn't trust them and he is uh, very blunt about it
1: and i have to give huge props to rod Steiger, an oscar winning actor who came to this material and gave it his fucking all i mean he he did i i i think that he honestly felt like he was going to win another oscar for this performance he he comes to this film and and doesn't half ass it at all he's invested in the character creates this very like you said uncomfortable unapproachable cold character his facial expressions his it's just it's a it's a really wonderful performance uh, and yeah yeah it's just so i just have to give him props i mean he he, he had to yeah. know this was like a low-budget b-horror movie but he i think he came to it giving it his all which not a lot of people would
0: yeah yeah well i think i think honestly the both of them yovando carlo as well i mean they they tackle the material um with such ease, and the, the 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 accents are very well played. The whole thing is is uh, it immediately as soon as you introduce Mom Pa, the kids oh, I would say become secondary because when you look at these kids, I mean they are as Aryan as as you get. They're white, blonde, bland. I mean, not not to say they're not well played, but they're you you know we've seen them a million times over. Um, this this basic cookie cutter. Clan of a uh, Scooby Doo like you know individuals who are put in a precarious situation, um, but Mom Pa are are uh, unlike most characters that you get in this scenario, and they are very well played. And it really it, it does elevate the material immensely, having two strong performances, especially like you said uh, from Pa. And and so when the the kids, one thing that that the script does also, again, unlike the last few reviews we've had, which we have had characters that we can't even remember their names um they do a full a full mm-hmm. roll call <laughs> where they literally go through and they're like jeff terry rob lynn paul yeah. Cynthia. like they give us all the kids names and like i'm not gonna forget anybody uh even though i did forget Cynthia's <laughs> name to start it off with we ha- we had a cheryl in the last <laughs> review those are two names that i get confused i apologize but um but yeah, so they give us the names, and then they, they inquire
1: the names of Ma and Pa, who respond simply, Ma and Pa suits us just fine. Mm-hmm. And we also learn that the, they are, um, I don't want to say Amish, but they're because they're not, but they, they live very the Amish lifestyle. They don't believe in electricity. They don't believe in vehicles. They don't believe in telephones. They don't believe in any of that stuff. Because, of course, Jeff is like, hey, do you guys have a phone? And Pa's like, we don't believe in that those contraptions. And so Jeff explains, hey, my, our, our plane is, is disarmed. Dishon- it's, it's broken down on the beach. We need to, we need to figure out how we can get out of here. And Paul is like, oh, well, I have a friend that's going to show up in the morning and you can, you know, he'll, he'll help you fix the, fix the plane or get it going. So there's kind of that underlying promise that Paul keeps making throughout the film that becomes a, a an issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's. You know, it's one of those scenarios, it's one of those things where um, you as the viewer, you obviously know right off the bat, uh, we, it, it's easy to have the instinct to know that these two are uh, up to no good. Um, you know, but the kids, I will say this about the kids, they play along for a little bit, but these kids are not the dumbest I've seen in a movie uh they're, uh as we go on as we progress they're pretty quick to realize that there's something up with this we're not comfortable here and eventually as things unfold they they make a few smart choices over the course of the movie um I don't think there's any real dumb mistakes from these kids so I do appreciate that they um they seem like they have their heads on straight you know uh however that being said being thrown into the situation I don't know what I would do either because as things continue to unfold it only continues to get weirder
1: the, well, there, yes, the, we've come upon a very awkward dinner scene. So the, the kids are sitting around the dinner table. They've stayed for dinner. Ma's serving them and they're all around the table. Ma's at one end, pa's at the other. And then, you know, you have the the kids kind of filling in the, the table. And Terry re- immediately reaches for a piece of bread and, and is, is scolded. Because they have to say grace first. So Paul launches into this very passionate (laughs) prayer.
0: Yeah. It's like a fucking sermon. Yeah. And his voice is... He's (laughs) talking like he's feeling the spirit. And, like, the kids are just looking around. Their eyes are wide. They are confused. I mean, at this point, I'd be like, well, I'm going to risk it and go stay in the plane. You know, like, I, I... I would not feel comfortable in this environment. That being said, I'm also a gay man, and I'm sure they would have immediate issues with me. So, um, (laughs) but yeah, so they they have this very uncomfortable prayer, um, and they serve the kids dinner, and um, Cynthia is kind of off in her own little world. She's not finishing her food, and Ma calls her out for it. Ma asks her if she wants to be part of the Clean Plate Club. Mm -hmm. And right, uh, this is when you start to realize, okay, these fuckers are living in their own world like this is this is more than just being religious extremists they um their whole way of life
1: is very off it is i mean yeah, yeah ma calls out uh cynthia for not finishing her food she's like i can't stand to see perfectly good food go to waste And yeah, I love the whole clean plate club line, which does come back later in the film. But yeah, she's like, "Do you don't want to be part of the clean plate club. And even even fucking Lynn like mocks it. She's like, oh, clean plate club. And just, you know, and I I love these like little subtleties because a couple of the characters do get little jabs in or, or little like, you know, jabs in at the family. And you always Ma just ignores it. But you can tell Paul like catches it and is like not pleased that they're kind of making fun of Them and their lifestyle.
0: Yeah, Pa tells. I mean, Ma does a a majority of the talking. She's like I said, like she's like the hospitable personality. She's welcoming, welcoming the kids into her home, and Pa tells most of his. uh, You can you can understand what Pa's thinking and what Pa is feeling simply from his expressions he does so much with his eyes again the performance here he normally doesn't speak until he becomes so upset or enraged with something that he's forced to uh but my god does his face tell a story and starting with this dinner sequence you really start to get into the heads of these characters um and uh there's a whole situation with uh, Lynn going to smoke a cigarette and he calls her out as a victim of tobacco and he shames her and it really becomes very clear just um, uh, again, just just these these are two very off individuals who have been very separated from the, the modern world at this point in the game and want none of it. They want nothing to do with it
1: yeah he, he the cynthia yeah poor poor or yeah not cynthia but lynn yeah she he he shames her about smoking and basically gives her this whole spiel about nice nice girls don't smoke it's the devil's you know playground blah 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 and she's like fine and she gets up and storms out and then one of the characters i think it's rob asks them don't you guys like miss having a you know Having a TV, don't. How do you know what's going on in the world? You know, do you realize that there's like a rocket that's that's on its way to, to 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 make a mission, and they are like, you better quit making up stories. Yeah, they basically
0: they talk about the whole fact like that. There's been uh, astronauts landing on the moon, like things have happened, and they uh, again shame the kids and tell them that they're making up tall tales. Uh, and, um, they, they ignore these stories. I think after that point, they just won't even listen. They'll have, they're having their own little conversation amongst themselves as, as the kids are kind of chiming in. And so, um, it's, it, yeah, it's very off-putting. Um, uh, and so, um, I have to say as well, Terry is wearing a jumpsuit at this point in the film. It's a tan jumpsuit with a fashionable belt and god it's so it's so good terry looks phenomenal she's got the best costume in the movie uh gaze i'm sure you'll acknowledge it this movie was made long enough ago now that it's come full circle and the fashion is cool again Uh, and i god i want to get my hands on that fucking one piece jumpsuit
1: well it's nothing like you know some of the dresses we see later on in the film though
0: yeah Uh, absolutely (laughs) also rob has a mullet that I would have to say is in my, one of my top ten favorite mullets ever caught on film. It's
1: a, it is, but, but it's a subtle mullet. It's, it's not like subtle. overbearing, and it looks like, from what I could tell, like like looks like the his the sides are kind of shaved. Yeah, but then the, then the mullet is in the back, and he's not a bad looking guy. You know, um, yeah,
0: it's a it's a white collar mullet, and I think yes. that's why I like it so much. It's very coiffed. It's not a sloppy mullet. It's an intentional mullet, and I'm a fan of it.
1: So they. Lynn, not, not Lynn, yeah, no, Terry gets up and she's like looking down the stairs to the cellar because the cellar doors open and Pa is gives her this like, he's like, Duke, don't go down in that cellar, girl. I should have shut the door and locked it. It's as cold as a grave down there. He makes that comment, which again comes into actually it's kind of a clever line knowing what we need to find out at the end very uh, foreboding yeah and now this is like the only time like we see paul like smile in the entire film and it's kind of just like this awkward thing because he's such a uh cold-hearted just like standoffish kind of mean character and after dinner when the kids are sitting in the living room he comes out and he, he's actually smiling and gives a little laugh and he's like you're welcome to spend the night And I just thought that was an odd choice. Why would he be... That's his only... Like, he obviously has been not happy that these kids have been in his house the entire night, but now he's actually smiling and be like, yeah, come spend the night. But I guess it makes sense. Cynthia and Terry are out on... the, Or Lynn are out on the porch, and they find a... They see like there's a jump rope on the ground, which is just kind of awkward because you know, they're like, why would there be a, a child's jump rope on the on the ground? And, and Cynthia's like, oh, well, you know, what's also weird is when we were here, when we got here, I, I went into this room that has like all kinds of kids toys and furniture in it. So she actually they go inside and she actually takes. Lynn into this bedroom to show her, you know, uh, this this room with all this kids old ancient or antique kids toys and furniture and holy fuck this is when we are introduced to the fucking queen of this film
0: we are dished a hefty helping right off the bat of fanny 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 is i would say the star of the show the belle of the ball by all means Fanny steals the fucking movie. She steals the fucking movie. Fanny is, she, she's a mischievous, um, pr- uh, troublesome, conniving. You would I want to say child, but she's in the body of a fifty year old woman. Um, and when I say fifty year old woman, I mean like. Full grown. It's not like she's being played by a, I don't know, a dwarf or something. Like she is literally just a grown woman who apparently Manpa have just convinced that she is a child all of this time. I don't know how they have gotten this woman to remain <laughs> this way other it, than through mental abuse.
1: It is so odd. So odd. It is. <laughs> The first time you hear Fanny, it's like she's she's not even in the in the frame because Terry and Cynthia are are kind of walking through the room, and all of a sudden you hear this like childlike voice say, "Please don't wake my baby," and you see Fanny pop out, and it is literally like you said, it's a fifty year old woman with big old bo- pink bows in her hair, wearing a little orphan Annie pink checkered dress, and she is. Oh, she's a fucking delight.
0: Her voice is like, and I would could only describe it as like, to me, this is this is how I register. It's like a strange, almost ASMR. Uh, it's like very, it's very light and soft and soothing and childlike, and it's very calming. And she is, she's terrifying. Fanny is terrifying because I mean, it's just a display of a very. like... I don't know, uh, mental illness, I don't know, like, what is that, what, okay, if an abuser locks you in their basement and convinces you you want to be
1: there, there's a term for it, what is it called, what is it called, <laughs> oh, are you talking about, I think it's Stockholm Syndrome, Stockholm yeah, Syndrome, when,
0: that's what it is like, I feel like this is a very advanced example of a, a
1: Stockholm Well, I syndrome. also, as the film goes on, I also sort of get the impression that Fanny And the other aren't really their real kids that they were, I don't know. We'll get to that. Like they were just other people that kind of came to the, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just so weird. But Fanny literally, she's like, I I have, it's almost my bedtime. And then she's like, and I have a birthday coming up and I'm going to be 12 years old. This bitch, this 50 year old woman thinks she's going to be 12 years old. And
0: Lynn is having none of it. No. Lynn is not at all okay with this. And, you know, Lynn, I had said this earlier. Like, Lynn is like, you know, you think she would be the, the token bitch, the way she's, you know, written and everything. But she's played in a way where she just comes off as, like, a little bit ahead of the curve. Like, she's very quick to be like, this is not okay. Lynn is the one who just calls it as she sees it. And I really like her character, um but yeah, I, I, literally Fanny says, ma says it's important for little girls to get there forty weeks, and uh, ugh, it just makes my skin crawl this whole this whole parent child relationship between all of these grown adults is very weird, um and then ma basically steps in and she like she kind of warns the girl she's like oh she's a troublemaker you know what they say about her when she's good she's very very good but when she's bad and then it cuts to lynn and she goes she's got to be at least 50 (laughs) the way they they do this transition there's a few really good transitions in this movie um but um
1: yeah because it cuts to lynn basically telling the entire group about fanny and she's like yeah it's and they're like what but then they all get to see because Fan or Ma brings Fanny upstairs to say goodnight to the group. In her fucking nightgown, which has bows. There's always bows. Bows in her hair now. Yeah. White bows in this 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 frumpy white nightgown. And she gets to tell yeah. the group goodbye.
0: Yeah. And um and so then she goes off to bed and they they basically start to separate the kids. To uh, have them go, you know, they're, they tell them they're going to stay in the house. They set, start to separate the guys and the girls. Uh, the one couple, um, Rob and Lynn, want to go off and sleep together. And Pa says, There'll be no devil's play in this house.
1: Um. Oh, he's, yeah. he's, he's not having it. He asks, no. are, are you hitched? What hitch, hitch, hitch? Oh yeah, hitch, yeah, yeah, uh, hitch. Oh, yeah, it's me, married. Like it's
0: it's so it's so dramatic, it's so over the top, but I love it. Um, and so the girls have to stay in the bedroom, the guys have to sleep in the like the family room, and meanwhile, nobody's said a thing about Paul. I mean, where the fuck? No one even mentions Paul's name.
1: No. No, that's the, that's the thing. That's what I was thinking. You guys are literally leaving Paul. He's you you told him to okay, just just, just wait by the the plane. Um they're literally leaving. No. they they leave him there. They don't invite him back for dinner. They don't care yeah. that he's has to sleep in the plane. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point it's where not, I
0: do want to just kind of tra- keep track and state that uh, we're like 30 minutes into the movie, there has not been a single death. Other than the baby in the tub, which we is I don't really count, um, but there's not been an actual killing. You know, there's not been a, a death in the movie. And honestly, I don't really care because you know what? This movie is so weird and it's so interesting. I have I could care less. You know, if you're not going to kill someone, at least keep me entertained. And goddamn, if this movie isn't entertaining, uh, and once Fanny's on screen, I have no complaints. So we're moving full speed ahead.
1: Well, because now we are yeah, because now we are getting to our first death scene, and yeah. boy, is it a fucking doozy! It's a doozy. Okay, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, a doozy. doozy. It's morning now, okay, and um, well, there is a little qu- quick scene with Cynthia waking up and telling and waking um Terry up and saying she hears. No- you do hear kind of moans and voices coming from Fanny's bedroom. And this is when at least Cynthia has the the common sense to be like, hey, I want to get out of here. Like this, something is not right. I want to get out of here. So at least Cynthia is sort of recognizing, as I think the whole group is, that this is this is not a, a normal situation. That they need to get out of here as soon as they can. But what are you going to do? You're on this deserted island. You might as well take advantage of the hospitality of this family. Yeah, who who so far are weird but have seemed pretty harmless and very welcoming. I mean, they made them dinner. They're letting them sleep in their beds and all. They're that
0: li- they're living as
1: children. Uh- <laughs> I don't. Know. But anyway, so yeah, it's uh, it's morning now, and Rob Rob Mullet Rob Fancy Mullet Rob decides. You know, he he gets up super early. He's like, I'm going to go on a walk, and he goes outside and comes across. Miss Fanny. Miss Fanny is pushing... There's a this giant, like, homemade... This is the biggest fucking swing set I've ever seen in my life. It's massive. And it's just one seat. But it's, like, this wooden homemade swing set. And it happens to just be, like, super close to a cliff. And Fanny is, like, lightly pushing someone in the swing set. Rob comes a- 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 upon the scene and sees Fanny. And-, and Fanny's like, Rob, what are you doing up so early? And he's like, oh, I'm just going on a walk. And... He's like, who is your friend? And she's like, oh, that's my brother. And his name is Woody, and the, the
0: whole thing is we we don't have a clear visual of him. It's all from the back. So so she's pushing him in the swing. She's re- she's referencing him. Um, at first, I like <laughs> the first time I saw this, I was like, okay, he's going to be dead, you know, like because you're like you're waiting for something weird to happen. Um, but it, eventually, he he says like a hello, like it's really weird, um, and so. She's basically like Rob. Come, you want to come in the swing? Get in the swing. And Rob's like, no, 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 no. And she's and they 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 start begging him to get in the swing. And Woody gets down, and you finally see Woody clear. You know his face, and he's another <laughs> grown adult live, living as a child. And this, and he's got like a lisp. It's very, very, again, very weird, very uncomfortable. He thinks he's roughly, I would say, I don't know, nine years old.
1: Well, and he wears this, like, blue, like, housecoat thing throughout the whole movie. Yeah, he looks like he'd be straight out of, like, a Peanuts Yes, episode. yes, I was thinking that, yeah. Um, but his, and it's, the actor is Michael J. Pollard, who is also an Oscar nominated actor. He was in Bonnie and Clyde uh, and got an Oscar nomination for Bonnie and Clyde. So, I mean, the talent involved in this movie is is pretty pretty great. I do feel like his character is a little underused.
0: Yeah, but you know what? I have also got to say like there cuz you have a overall you do get introduced to another character who's an adult living in, as a child and all three of the man children or grown children are um, played with very unique and specific personalities. Like, I mean, from their voices to, to their reactions to uh, how they handle certain situations, it, it, even though each one of them is less and less developed in the order of their appearance – Um, the time they have on camera, they make the most of it. And I love Woody. He is such a shit starter. He is a fucking tattletale. He's a little punk. And so he gets down and he's so eager for Rob to get in the swing, and they're literally, <laughs> they're literally like chanting, like for Rob to get in the swing. Rob's going to ride or swing. Rob's going to ride or swing. Rob's going to uh-huh. ride or swing. And they do it five times over. It's horrifying. And so Rob, like reluctantly, gets strapped into this wooden, like handmade
1: swing contraption, and they begin pushing him. And it's placed on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> It's at least uh, why he decided to get in the swing. I will never know. I would have politely declined and been like, "No, guys, I'm sorry. This not not my thing." Because I'm deathly afraid of heights, so I'm certainly not going to get in a swing that overlooks a 500 foot cliff. It's just not going to happen. But Rob does it, and they start pushing him, and eventually they're pushing him higher and higher and higher and he starts freaking out. He's like, Oh my God, this is too. I want down and Fanny's like, no, it's not. It's not high enough yet. Rob. And she's pushing him. And you really quickly know that this is very, something very sinister. This isn't just pushing Rob in a swing set and fucking Woody climbs up the ladder or climbs up the ladder to get to the top of the, uh, the swing gets a hatchet. And as Fanny is pushing Rob, as far as he goes, he, chops the rope and the swing and Rob literally go flying it's, off the floor. It is, it's kind of like,
0: it's like a better done version of the, uh, like, body in a chair effect from um, Mac, Mac and Me where the wheelchair goes over the cliff into the, it, it, it's, it's done if it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's done if it was done well. You know, this is, a, um, it's very effective because they do this whole POV shot of, like, his feet with, like, going back and forth over the cliff, and you just see how far down it is below, and it's it's really well done. And it's really effective, and there's no gore. There's no blood. You don't even see the aftermath. Um, eventually, you do see a shot of it, but not at the end of the sequence, but you don't need it because it's so... Um, Again, I've been. I'm going to use this word a lot with this film and with this review, but it's so unique because you've got these two fucking grown adults dressed up as though they're children, chanting and and joy, jovially pushing this man to his death, and then after he falls over the edge, they hold hands, they walk down the hill, and they sing to themselves "Rockabye Fucking Baby," and it is so
1: maniacal. Yeah, it is an odd. It's uncomfortable. Jeff is confronting Paul about, again, his friend that's supposed to show up because it's morning and Paul is like, hey, dude, Paul told him that his friend would be there in the morning. No friend. So Jeff is like, hey, is your friend coming or not? And this is when Paul gives him some biblical um, chant about the Bible, talking about be- being, um, you know, being patient and you, you, you good things come to those who wait and you, you, you need to be patient. He quotes some Bible verse. I don't know. And then Cynthia is off wandering around and she finds or she sees Rob's mangled body on the rocks below the cliff. And she instantly flips her shit,
0: understandably
1: so. Um,
0: the last thing that, that this girl needs to be seeing is a dead body uh, on, on, especially when it's involving water and so um and his body is right along the cliffs of the of the sea and so she has a huge response she freaks out understandably and um cut to um uh the, 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 the four kids and Pa have zipped up the body and taken him to the back shed uh and um uh, uh, what oh god! What the girlfriend's name? What's her name? Terry is it? Terry, Terry, Terry is, is is his girlfriend, and she's weeping. So they go and they put her down into bed. They let her go to sleep, and uh, everybody is obviously responding to the situation. Nobody thinks to go tell Paul.
1: Uh, no, Paul's forgot. Paul who? <laughs> He's forgot. But uh, Mon Paw's explanation of of how Rob must have died was that he just happened to come upon the swing and just decided to swing in it. And mom Ma makes this comment that she's like i don't know how he found that how he found that old swing set i'm like uh we just saw the scene where he walks out your front door and it's like right there <laughs> that's how we yeah. found it it's not like it was a uh, 10 miles away from your house it's right there um but i was thinking do the friends really buy this i don't think necessarily jeff does no, because I'm like, no. how?
0: Well, it's one thing that the, that the family does really well is before like there's a chance for anybody to kind of call them out on on shit, even early on, they'll like introduce another family member, <laughs> so like everyone they're always like taken by surprise. Yes. So like this is a point where Woody is introduced to the other kids, and Woody comes in and everybody's immediately like, what the fuck? A grown man who's acting like a child? This is getting so weird. And he comes in and he's like, oh, my pa said that we're never supposed to use that switch. That oh, and like, and it's just so weird I want to say everyone forgets about the fact that rob's dead but i think they're just like oh oh shit there we have more of these shenanigans you know so this is it's kind of one thing after another where there's no time to really respond to anything that happens early on in the movie because it's just so strange
1: it's so absurd yeah because i was kind of thinking the same thing it's like these kids aren't really having that big of a reaction of of their friend just being Mm -hmm. killed he's Mm -hmm. dead and they're just like kind of sitting on the couch like oh okay but yeah woody comes in and i think you're right i think you know the reactions the lack of reactions can be heavily justified because there's just one weird thing after another going on in this house and at this point i would think i would be like you know what we're leaving we'll find a way off this island let's just go yeah i'll swim i'll swim away if i have to but this is too much this is too much yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, basically, like, you obviously don't have the things we need to help us. Someone's already dead. (laughs) Regardless, somebody is dead. We need to be more proactive in getting off this island. Thank you for your hospitality. Yeah, so
1: far, they're not really (laughs) trying to get off the island. They seem pretty content just kind of sticking around with this weird family to the point where they're not even, like you said, they're not even checking on their friend. And it's been like two days now, and nobody has mentioned Paul. You know who I will say
0: is being, um, uh, I guess the voice of reason or the voice of the audience is Lynn. Uh, we cut to a scene where Lynn is outside with, um, Cynthia and she's, she's basically kind of having a little bit of a meltdown. She's, she's talking about how weird everybody is, how weird the whole situation is, how, and how strange specifically Fanny is. And she starts just dogging her. She starts, she's absolutely like, Tearing into her, she's like, "I hate her bows, and I hate her clothes, and I hate her fat, bloated face." And I'm like, <laughs> and just, "I'm like, I get you, Lynn. I'm in the same boat." Um, but she does not notice that Fanny is playing with Jacks behind the tree, and overhears this and begins to weep yeah. softly weep. And so Lynn stomps away, and Cynthia overhears soft the soft weeping, and she f- finds Miss Fanny. Crying to herself, and then she starts to comfort her,
1: which was a huge mistake because this is begins the downfall of the Cynthia characters. I think mental state even more than we because, yeah, she's trying to be nice to Fanny, which and she's like, "Oh, you're 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 so pretty, Fanny. That's a pretty dress. Did your mom make it?" And Fanny gets all she smiles now. She's all happy now because Lynn's paying or Cynthia's paying attention to her, and she's like, "Yeah, my mommy makes all my clothes," and then. She's like, will you play? Oh, and she says she also makes my baby's clothes. Mm -hmm. And this uh, Cynthia's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, I'm gonna go now. And Fanny like begs her to stay and play with her, and she gives in. And Fanny like like leads her away, and then says, "Wait right here." And she runs into the woods and gets an ax from a tree (laughs) and very well done scene because, you know, the first time you saw that you see this movie, you might be thinking, Oh shit, here we go. Yeah. And she runs out and raises the ax at Cynthia. And Cynthia like recoils.
0: She's like, Oh shit. Yeah. And And then she like, jabs the axe into the dirt grabs a horseshoe throws it at the axe and she's like I did it like, she, she they're playing horseshoes
1: they're playing horseshoes with <laughs> and, an axe
0: with an axe and so it's, like, it's like a you know they set it up you think it's going to be a kill but instead it's just a, a transition a cut
1: well um, and honestly and, I wouldn't have minded if, no, if, yeah. <laughs> if Cynthia would have been killed at this point because like I said I find the other two female characters much more interesting and then we cut to the it's it's nighttime, and poor Cynthia's trying to sleep and Fanny is in her room and wakes her up. Yeah, Fanny... <laughs> this is such
0: an awkward... Such a fucking weird scene. This is so strange. Uh, Fanny comes to the door and she's like... She's like, Cynthia, come to my room. I want you to see my baby. And then it comes to, like, a close-up on her mouth.
1: <laughs> yes. And she's
0: like, I want you to see my baby. And so Cynthia... Reluctantly goes to see the baby, and the baby is revealed, and the baby is a fucking mummy. <laughs> like it is a, <laughs>
1: it's a, a fetal baby. <laughs> like, it is a it's a mummified fetal little baby wrapped in swaddled in a in a night little baby night gown, and its head is like <laughs> it looks like an alien. It looks like it does. It doesn't look like a normal baby. The skull is yeah. misshapen, and I want to know. Uh, okay we'll get to it but there uh, <laughs> i wonder if this is no but here's my thing is the baby is uh, is this fanny's real baby like did she, is this like, a result of incest? oh i definitely went through my mind definitely went through okay. my mind absolutely because yeah you can even tell from just the skeletal that this baby's deformed and i was like yeah. is that supposed to hint at the fact that there's incest because incest is very blatantly hinted at here in a few minutes in in this film, and it's yeah. disgustingly just ew. um But yeah, so Cynthia freaks out as I would too after seeing a mama, like someone like kissing a mummified baby. She's oh like, yeah, she's like kissing all over it. You want to kiss my baby, Cynthia? I know you like little babies, and Cynthia like screams and backs away, and fucking uh, another grown ass fucking man who thinks he's a kid. Pops out of the shadows. And this is Teddy. This is Teddy.
0: And Teddy is by far the largest of the three. Oh, he, he is uh, a big, yeah, man. He's a
1: a big, big man. He's a big boy.
0: He's a big boy. And he's got temper.
1: He gots, he, he's another one that's acting like he's eight years old. And he's wearing bib overalls. And he grabs Cynthia aggressively. And Fanny's like, Teddy, stop that. She's my friend. And Cynthia passes out. Faints understandable <laughs> but i think the so far you have you have fanny and and woody which are very like have you did you think about those names those are very like sexually little well, charge names fanny and woody i mean you <laughs> can think of that yeah <laughs> it is so gross it is gross and then you get Teddy.
0: <laughs> yeah uh, uh, you know it's funny like i feel like if you were to sit down and figure out the ages of like <laughs> The suggested ages of these grown adults, like, in the sense of what they think they are. You know, she's about to turn 12. I think Woody's probably, like, 10. And I think Teddy's, like, even though he's the biggest of the three, is maybe convinced he's 8. Because he has, you know, he has a temper. He's overreactive. He's, like, the most, like, um, uh, argumentative and angry and, like... uh, Uh, reactive of the group, you know, of the three of them. And, um, because of that, you know, because of his size, he's also, I would say like the most threatening, uh, out of the three. He's just huge. He's a really big guy. And so, um, uh, you know, she passes out and uh, we cut to the next, next day.
1: Yeah. Still no Paul.
0: (laughs) Still no Paul. Um, and Lynn is, um, out smoking. She's out in the woods. She's wandering, having a smoke and she comes upon the three kids, Playing with the jump rope, the same jump rope that they found on the porch, and um, and she, you know, is not.
1: Lynn is a no bold bar bull. She is not even going to entertain no, being nice to these no. people. It's not even. She is not. She's not. She's yeah, certainly she not going to treat
0: it. these three grown adults like their children. <laughs> no. And they're like they're no. very eager for Lynn to come play, and she refuses, and so
1: they start to get more aggressive with her. Yeah, and she's like, get, and she is screaming, at him, get the fuck off me, you fucking weirdos. And they, and, they li- and she's like, runs away, and they, Teddy lassos her with the the jump rope, and pulls her back, and they each have a part of the jump rope, and they're like, walking around her saying, weirdos, weirdos, we're a bunch of weirdos, and like, wrapping her in the jump Yeah, they fucking tie her, it's... It's
0: absurd, Um, but it cuts away. One thing with this film is there's a lot of, um, you know, I'll say it's a horror movie, I'll say it's effective, but you don't get a lot of the violence on camera. There are a lot of cutaway moments, though there are a lot of good reveals, I'll say that. But this starts a trend of cutaways. Um, And so uh, it cuts, um, while while it does cut away from this moment, it's clear at this point that everything is starting to build to something very crazy, um, the kids, the three kids, quote unquote kids, you know, the three grown adults acting as children um, are becoming less and less. Um, uh, they're 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 hiding their intention, or they're they're no longer hiding their intentions. They're no longer uh, uh, masquerading as much. They are now just kind of outwardly being abusive towards the the the, the, the cast. They're they're not making they're making their intentions known. If that yeah.
1: Yeah, they are. It's they're becoming far, far more sinister and aggressive. But it cuts to a scene now with Jeff confronting Paul and yelling, like literally yelling at this man. And he he said, "This is this. Where is this? This is where is this boat? This is bullshit." And Paul is like, "Bullshit! You don't say bullshit. If you say bullshit, an angel's gonna come down and wash your mouth out with soap, boy." I love Paul, and I love
0: his. He's got some one-liners in this movie that really hold up for me. Uh, maybe it's because I find uh, many branches of Christianity to be terrifying. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, Jeff is um, he's done, and he
1: goes and he finds Cheryl, and that's not Cheryl. It's, you're still you have you still have Memorial Valley Massacre on your mind. It's Cynthia. It's Cynthia.
0: Oh my god. Uh, he goes and finds god fucking damn me, he goes and finds Cynthia. Yeah I I mean Cheryl's performance impacted me so much.
1: <laughs> I mean I know I know I was like that's unforg- unforgettable you know character what, you know how can haunts we, me yeah, because just, I spent so yeah.
0: much time trying to identify which characters were which and because Cheryl does so little in Memorial Valley Massacre that I couldn't find anything that really like told me who she was and so I finally found her name and I like wrote it <laughs> like, had it as a reference piece, so I got that name, like, plastered into my mind. But no. So he goes and finds Cynthia, um, and Cynthia, like, confides in him quickly about the mummified baby, and he doesn't believe her, and I'm like, why would, why would you not believe her at this point in the game? Everything is fucking batshit crazy cuckoo bananas. You're
1: not, that's the least uh, absurd thing, the dead baby. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I, I, Jeff is just a dick. Yes. Uh, he's just a dick. And his, his stupid expression, he has the same stupid expression on his face for, every during every scene. Yeah, I'm like, okay, so you just saw a whole house full of people thinking they're 12-year-old kids, but you can't believe that there's a mummified baby. But he's like, oh, I went in Fanny's room and looked in the bassinet and there was no baby. And then he's like, he's tr- he's trying to comfort her, so he starts kissing her. In the meantime, Fanny is watching this unfold through the, a hole in the wall, and she okay, Fanny is getting horny as fuck. Oh, my and God, this she's is wet. such an yes, this is such an awkward scene that I I guess watching this years ago when I first saw, it, I didn't even catch the subtlety here because it's not subtle. It's literally she is sweating. Like she is, this bitch is horny. Her, she is want some dick now. Well, she's 50 years
0: old. I mean, she's been, de- she's been deprived. No, well, apparently of, she uh,
1: has not been deprived of dick. Okay. Because, <laughs> because, let me put it in a different way. Because, other than her yeah, Because she turns around and she's covered in sweat. And now her whole demeanor is completely changed. And poor Teddy is sitting on the floor. And the first thing he says to her is, you leave me alone. So apparently, when she gets horny, she fucks Teddy and Woody because she says in a very. Did you notice her voice changes here? She doesn't sound like a little kid anymore. She sounds like a a woman. She says, grown ass woman. Yeah, she's like, I don't want you, and I don't want Woody. I want Jeff. Yeah, like she's like,
0: she's like, I don't want you, and I don't want Woody. I will Like, (laughs) like, I mean, like, it is flesh-hungry. This woman is dripping. Like, and she, without hesitation, turns on her heel, marches into the other room where, like, um, Cynthia and Jeff are having, like, this normal conversation, and they turn to her, and she just starts stroking him by the, like, stroking his face and touching him, and he's very uncomfortable, and... Uh, Cynthia is very uncomfortable and he stands up and she proceeds to stab him in the eye with a knight in shining shining armor toy just stabs him right in the eyeball
1: which I was thinking Fanny that ain't how you go about getting dick honey I mean and Cynthia of course freaks out and runs out of the house and Ma is sitting on the porch knitting and Cynthia's like Ma Fanny's Fanny's lost it and now all of a sudden Ma is like her hospitable attitude is completely gone because her thing is now she's like you wicked girl you wicked girl all of you are wicked and you all need to be punished and at this point Jeff like stumbles out of the house blood coming out of his eye he falls onto the porch Ma proceeds to get up with her knitting needles and Cynthia takes off running and Ma's like goddamn Fanny she can't. She never does finish a chore and stabs Paul or Jeff, not Paul, with the knitting... Paul's not there. <laughs> Paul's not there. Stabs Jeff with yes. the knitting needles. So I'm like, okay, so this went south real quick. <laughs> real fucking fast. Real fucking fast.
0: And so, so meanwhile, in the midst of all this happening, Terry has taken off running to look for Paul and the plane. Um, And I like Terry's character because at this point in the movie, she becomes... Honestly, she starts to... Like I said this earlier, she starts checking off the boxes of, like, the final girl. She's resourceful. She's quick-thinking. She's the one who takes initiative. So as she's running, she finds Lynn hanging from a tree by the jump rope. She's been hung with it like a noose. And she's just hanging there. It's a really cool shot. Her tongue's, like, sticking out. And she's got blood running down her face. Uh, but so, uh, Terry finally comes across, um, the, like the tents that they had set up, uh, near where the plane is, but Paul is nowhere to be seen, but she's quick thinking and she reaches into one of the bags and she grabs a flare gun. And I love that she thinks to do this.
1: Yeah. Well, she, yeah, she finds after she goes, she goes down to try to find the plane and she, she finds that the plane is gone. The plane, somehow the plane is gone. In the meantime, it was, it was Cynthia that's running through the woods. Cynthia is the one that finds um, Lynn's body hanging from the tree. Uh, but yes. then they run into, they finally run into each other. And this is when Cynthia is like, tells Terry what, what has happened. And they are sitting there like having this freak out about what they're going to do. And all of a sudden, they're kind of a cool shot of a, one of those suction cup arrows hits Terry in the hand and like sticks to her. And you look up and you see Woody and Teddy now standing up on the hill. They're dressed like, what, cowboys? They have a cowboy hats. Cowboys and Indians. They're playing cowboys and yes. Indians. And so he has his little fake, Teddy has his fake um, arrow. And then uh, Woody has these fake guns, these cap guns that he starts shooting at them. And he's like, y'all better run because you ain't getting off this island alive. Paul's going to kill you. Yeah, and the two girls take off running. Well, actually, yeah. Well, Cynthia, well, Fanny's there calling for Cynthia. Fanny's in the woods with her baby saying, Cynthia, Cynthia, come out. And this is when I'm telling you, this Lynn, this Lynn should have been the final girl. (laughs) Terry, damn, they're all the most vanilla names You go with these vanilla-looking girls. This okay, Terry? This Terry, because she immediately runs to Fanny and puts the flare gun in her head. Yeah, and she takes her hostage. It takes her hostage and like walks her to the front of the house and is like, "Paul, Ma, get your asses out here! I got Fanny," and she's holding the flare gun to um to, to Fanny fanny's head and mom and pa actually come out of the house and they're immediately like like don't hurt my little girl don't hurt my little girl <laughs> And she's like your little child like she
0: like like terry is done she's done she's not having any more bullshit and so she basically barters uh <laughs> that uh in, in exchange for telling her where there's a boat she will spare fanny and Pa tells her that there's a fisherman's boat on the other side of the island, but he doesn't know if it's got no gas. Uh, well, she's like, take me to it. <laughs> Terry's
1: done. And they lead them to the boat, and it, there is a boat there, and Terry is smart because she, right away, she's like, tell them to come out. Yep. And she knows. Terry's smart. She knows. She knows. And Pa's like, who's who? Who are you talking about? She's like, you goddamn well know who I'm talking about. And of course, Ma's like, Okay. Woody, Teddy, come out! And of course, they were hiding behind the log right by the boat, ready to yep. ready to strike. So this ter- this this Terry is very smart, and she does everything right. And it
0: yeah, she does. It's
1: so sad that what happened because she she's she's kick ass. So they go to the, her and Cynthia go to the boat, and finally, finally, we see Paul <laughs> with an axe in his face, with an axe in his an axe in his head. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, it is honestly, and I don't want to say the most anticlimactic, but, like, he didn't even get a kill scene. Like, all this time, Paul's, Paul's probably been dead. He's He's been dead probably for the whole length of it, you
1: know? So, Terry freaks out, and she, like, shoots the flare gun in the direction of Woody and Teddy, but misses. And they, they take off. Her and Teddy take off running. Yeah. Uh And Teddy and... and woody are like oh ma paul can we play our game now and they're like yeah go for it oh my god this is so unnecessarily
0: elaborate <laughs> this next what happens the, the the two boys proceed to dress themselves up as firemen with mm-hmm. like fireman caps and proceed to perform a viking funeral <laughs> on, the, on the boat with paul's body they set his body ablaze and they push the ship the little boat off into the water and it bursts into flames and
1: then it fucking explodes so no boat for cynthia and terry they're not getting off this island so um ma and pa are back at the house and they just have this kind of out of place little conversation what pa does about telling ma about how he wants to protect the children And the children are never going to be exposed to, you know, outside influences that they're going to live with them forever and ever and ever and ever. And again, it made me wonder, as I mentioned earlier, if these are really their kids or if these were Mm -hmm. just like actually adults that like somehow, you know, maybe got the same way like this whole little group of friends that they got on the island And this ma and pa kind of kidnapped them and and has brainwashed them into thinking that they're their children. Stockholm syndrome, man i don't know i i I, I sort of get vibes that that that's kind of what happened but maybe not i i don't know yeah um if that's true
0: though it does take away from the effectiveness of this whole incestual family and that baby's misshapen
1: body um that's true well unless unless paul was the father (laughs) I i just there's so many there's a lot of little questions about um you know what is the deal with this family that, that aren't really never really explained, but not to say it's less effective because of that. Like in some ways I actually like
0: it's creepier because you are left guessing like, was it that, you know, is that the case? Um, almost it's, it, it makes me think of like some of the, um, uh, some of the aspects of like a movie, like, um, um. Oh, my God. Um, let me in or let the right one in. You know, they were the, there's aspects like is, you know, is the vampire actually born a boy? Is it true? Like, is it you know, there's there's some things where like it leaves more to the imagination. And because of that, you kind of jump to these like conclusions that are just by nature, very unsettling and very uncomfortable. So, yeah. So um. so the girls are running through the woods and they hear music that Terry points out
1: is. They're sleeping in a tree. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. They wake up in the morning, they've they've been sleeping in like the shell of a tree. Um
1: Which I want to do that sometime. I don't it know. It does that's look very nice. comfortable. We need to put on our fanny dress uh, and go, go find a tree to find
0: <laughs> <laughs> hunt some adults in the woods. Um but so no, so Cynthia and she Cynthia's still having some weird hallucinations and everything and, and but so they uh they wake up to the sound of um of music and it's obviously coming from a radio. And Terry's quick to acknowledge that's a radio. Like that's that's not you know the, and they
1: didn't, they didn't have a radio yeah. so she's like it, it may be someone else right
0: and so they come upon a like a shack that's not the same you know none of the same nothing on the property that they saw before and even though it's not on the property i would still be i would still be a little more like cautious all things considered
1: and they're not well T- terry's not cynthia stays back but terry is like runs right up to it and I'm like, girl, if there was someone else living on this island, you would have known by now, right? Right. Like, you would have known. So why are you? Fa- you have been. Th- you have been so smart up until this point, right? Like, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. And so she gets to the the little cabin and she opens the door and inside the cabin she finds the body of her boyfriend, like seated at the table, like bleeding out from the head. Uh, you know, and, and so, and she sees the body and immediately Teddy steps into frame. Uh, it's mm-hmm. obviously it was all a trap. It was all, it planned. was a trap. But,
1: mm-hmm. And again, it, it bothers me that they, that they fell for it so easily. Yeah. Like, did you not think that this family was going to try to trick you? Yeah. I mean, it just didn't, I don't know. I felt like kind of a dumb decision for the characters to make. I would have at least approached the house and, and, and watched it and not ran right in right right inside without even second guessing oh could this be a trick right right anyways teddy um teddy and um woody start chasing uh terry around and she's like screaming for cynthia to run and she does this is when teddy chases terry to the edge of, edge of a cliff and attacks her yeah he he literally climbs upon her and this like
0: this movie is strange and this movie is absurd um and and at times comedic but moments like this are actually kind of brutal and very um off-putting because he literally like he grabs her he mounts her he's and he violently grabs her by her hair and he snaps her neck and kills her
1: snaps her neck and kills her but that's not that's not the most uncomfortable part of this what he does next is very cringeworthy she's dead and he proceeds to basically not basically he sexually assaults her corpse he like rips her blouse open, and then like rips her panties off. He pulls because you see him pull her panties and, and throw them. And in the meantime, Woody is watching this, and Woody's little tattletale ass is like, "I'm telling Paul, you killed her. I'm telling Paul." And and like Teddy like dismissively like throws the panties towards uh towards Woody, and you see him. He starts sniffing her, kissing her, like sniffing her, sniffing her breasts luckily the scene yeah. cuts but it's still it, it definitely it is cringeworthy and it sticks with you 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 kind of get an idea that he yeah. raped her dead body that's heavily yeah. the one of the
0: things that you start to realize too about like these characters and and the the layers to the onion of this family is you know yes they're these these adults are they are forced to or have been convinced to believe that they are children. But at the end of the day, they are adults and they operate, you know, they have the same I mean they have a sex drive as you saw it already with Fanny, and now you're seeing it with Teddy and so they have the instinct and the desire for certain things that they're not permitted to have. And the next scene we have um Teddy like tail between his legs comes up back to the house and the family is out there waiting for him and it's very uncomfortable because he starts sobbing and yelling at Woody for being a tattletale and Woody's just like oh he did it oh he killed her he killed her i saw it like and it's it's very uncomfortable because because he starts just sobbing and he's red in the face and he thinks what you know obviously he did do something wrong but he's um you know these these grown adults are not permitted to have the natural you know <laughs> existence of an adult and of course they're going to have the, the desires to do certain things and it makes even more cringe-worthy you know
1: well because paw takes a stick and and ted yeah teddy's having a break and he's, he's he's pleading with ma not to let Pa do what he's gonna do which is beat him he literally makes teddy get on a little hill and goes up and starts beating him with a stick a, a big branch like teddy's down on the f- ground and paws just beating the shit out of him and chanting in the name of god in the name of god the whole family starts ch- chanting including now yeah. cynthia this is
0: where the we have a, the, the twist hits
1: cynthia now is she's watching this unfold and all of a sudden she starts chanting with the family in the name of god in the name of god and It's full fledged crazy, and she almost—it's almost like orgasmic. It's—it's almost like you're watching this release from her, like just finally, just like this emotional release coming out of this character because her chanting is way orgasmic, and she's like ah, rolling her eyes in the back of her head, and it's like
0: in the name of God. Yeah, I will say that like my issues with the performance of Cynthia definitely um, subside once she takes on this new persona because Cynthia at this point gives in to the family and is adopted into the family and it is very strange, and it is such a weird twist. I did not anticipate this the first time I saw this. But she dives into this performance. She has some very childlike tendencies. She always has her fingers up to her mouth, like she's playing with her. You know, like she's like biting on her nails, or she's doing these little things with her her hands, and very different from the performance we got before. And I think it's a stronger element to her performance
1: because now there's a scene when it cuts. To, it cuts to faint. It cuts to um. Fanny and her, now she's basically dressed exactly like Fanny. They're in in Fanny's bedroom and and Cynthia's sitting on the edge of the bed in her little socks, you know, uh, swinging her feet back and forth. She has a big old shit grin on her face. She has her hair and pigtails and ribbons. And her and Fanny are dressed exactly alike. And it's very apparent that she's basically like just lost her fucking marbles.
0: And Ma Ma comes in and she's like, oh, you're pretty as a picture. They're loving it. They're all about it
1: they are all about it. And my thing was, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an interesting twist. Um, It just, you know, it it makes the film that much more effective, but it's like how realistic is it that this woman would have just so easily become part of this family.
0: Yeah. One thing I try to look back on is the very opening of the film. When you see Jeff with the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist delivers some very specific dialogue about, what she needs and what she she has to do for herself to basically wrap up some loose ends and figure some things out for herself. And I think one thing with um, Cynthia's current state is is exactly just how fragile she really was and how the events occurring and what transpired and how it tied into the loss of her child and resulting in her own digression to a childlike state – um, I think there's a lot of things that factor into that, that honestly, if we were to sit down and just spend some time evaluating this character and the who's and the what's and the why's, we've seen twists like this before. And I do think that this character does kind of set up more for a breakdown to a certain extent, maybe not as extreme as we see here. However, as this continues even more, uh, it's you realize it's not just limited to her becoming part of the family. There's far more to her mental um, depletion to um, her loss of her sanity, to what exactly is going on. We're not seeing the limit to it uh, by any means, as you'll see over the course of the ending.
1: Now they're having a birthday party for Fanny, and they bring out her cake, and she gets to blow out her cake. and It's a, it's a real blast, this party. And Cynthia is all proud now because she is part of the clean, the clean plate club now because she finished her plate of cake and she's all proud. She's like, Ma, look at me. I'm a clean, I'm in the clean plate club now. And then she's like licking her fingers like, like a little kid would, you know, licking the frosting off her fingers. And now they're like, Cynthia, we have a surprise for you. And they take her into the basement. And in the basement are all of Fanny's, what she calls her big dollies yes and
0: what a grand reveal because her big dollies of course are the bodies of everybody that we've seen thus far uh, without paul because he was burned uh <laughs> and exploded but everybody else is basically strung up and on display uh alongside the bodies of other people who have obviously come to the island and had the same fate and uh they actually take the time to like Introduce several of them one of which was they say is the doctor that delivered um fanny uh I, so it seems is what i gathered from that
1: yeah they they each have a yeah there's like a there's like a couple that they found on the beach apparently having sex uh and then there is a guy that his his skeleton has like this like piece of wood jabbed through its skull that they say was a fisherman that was going to go and tell all of his friends about the, the island as a fishing spot uh, but yeah, these are all big dollies and Cynthia is totally into it. She is loving it. She is loving it. And she's she's like, she's, she's smiling and she ha- she looks at all the dead bodies and she's like, pleased to meet you, I'm sure, and just starts busting up laughing. So this bitch literally has lost her goddamn mind because how quickly you go from like being a normal quote unquote person to then... um being fine with all these dead bodies laying around.
0: Yeah, and it's it's one of those things... Like, the first time I viewed this, I was very much anticipating that she... W- I thought there was going to be, like, a twist here that revealed that she was, you know, putting on a ruse, that she was acting this way to, you know, at the end of the day, like, get off the island and kill the family. Like, no, no, no. Like, she's actually lost her shit. Like, this is her story arc. Uh, Cynthia now is has resorted to becoming you know the mind of a child and um it, it's kind of, i mean it's a sad outcome in a way cuz her story is is very sympathetic and um she really just loses her shit um and seeing her bodies of her friends she's not phased by it at all in fact she makes a joke out of it yeah she's not phased
1: so now after they see Fanny's big dolly now they're in the bedroom with the baby and now all of a sudden, Cynthia is kissing the baby, hugging the baby. She wants to change the baby, so she finds this little dress, and she's like, "This dress, Fanny, would look pretty on the baby." And Fanny's like, "Yes, let's let's change the baby." And she pulls out this um, metal bath, this metal wash tub, tub yeah, that, yeah, and. And Cynthia's like, I'm going to give my baby a bath before I, before we change her into her pretty dress. So she's faking like she's turning on the faucet and going to give the baby a bath. And this obviously triggers Cynthia.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Cynthia, everything to do with water and tubs and babies at this point has been a trigger. And when you get to the point of combining all of those to recreate the same exact scenario that, you know, occurred to her, she has her final break. And her final break is, in a way, it's delicious because everything that comes from this is the family, the family does, they don't know what they're up against, But uh, it is is also very sad because she genuinely just loses her mind completely. She picks up the fucking tub. Well, first of all, she grabs the baby. She's like, give me my baby. (laughs) She's losing her shit. They're struggling with it. And they bust the head of the mummy baby off.
1: Yeah, the head falls on the floor. And Fanny, and then she proceeds to, yeah, she picks up the metal tub and starts bashing Fanny in the head with it. And this, I mean, okay. So this movie isn't
0: necessarily, like I said, the the, the most gory. Uh slasher, I don't even want to say slasher, but, you know, backwoods killing film uh, of all of them, you know, it it chooses to cut away from a lot of the moments, as I said, there's a lot of reveal sequences, but this is one of the most brutal sequences in the film because Cynthia, like, she takes a tub, she bashes it down on her head, she bashes it down a second time, then she bashes it down on Fanny's head again and you see the blood start running down from, you know, Fanny's forehead. Like, She's beating her skull in, and she just loses her shit, and she just pummels her over the head with it. And it does eventually cut away to Woody entering the room. He sees uh, Fanny dead on the floor, covered in blood. He looks over, and Cynthia pops out of nowhere with a fucking knight in shining, shining armor toy with a giant sword, and she proceeds to stab him. Into the camera. It's a cutaway. This is this starts a series of cutaway kills, but you do at least get the reveals of the bodies afterwards.
1: Yeah, this is when she says "naughty Woody," and yeah, stabs him with the the knight in shining armor. Then she goes out on the porch and just—I mean, there's no like build or there's no like subtlety to this at all. This bitch is on a mission. Like she goes out on the porch. She's not even doesn't even greet ma. Ma's knitting. She proceeds to just grab the knitting needles out of ma's hands. And Ma's like, what's gotten into you? And she stabs her in the chest and the neck with the knitting
0: needles. Yeah. She's like, well, no holds bars, just killing everybody. And yeah, it's not subtle. There's no, there's no, uh, creeping up. She's just running around killing people.
1: She doesn't say, cause now Teddy comes home and of course he has a cookie and he, uh, <laughs> he goes into, and he finds Ma on the porch and Cynthia proceeds to like go and, smash him in the neck with a sickle yeah
0: yeah. and again that's another kill into the camera a lot of it's done from the POV of the victims they do this trope a few times but you also do end up seeing uh, Teddy's body reveal as well because what happens is Paula finally comes home and um, he sees he finds the massacre he finds Ma on the porch he walks through the house he finds Teddy dead on the porch as well with the sickle against his neck bleeding out uh, he finds Woody in the bedroom with the um the toys stabbed out of, coming out of his I think neck or temple his temple, and then he looks over to the bed he sees Fanny on the floor and he sees Cynthia laying on the bed as well as though they 've all been killed,
1: yeah with Woody on the floor as well yeah i thought i was wondering if you caught that because it's very subtle like you don't you see you see cynthia laying on the bed um but it's not like a focus because they, they they focus in on fanny and then they focus in on woody they don't focus in on cynthia's body but you do see it uh it's kind of it's very like just in the background kind of not prominent so there are there was there was some thought into her like knowing that she's gonna trick paul and paul like Go, launches into this passionate monologue he's like screaming like at himself and screaming that god has forsaken him he goes outside and it's like god i want to talk to you i got and he's just like we live by your teachings and then he's like i renounce you now i renounce you i gave i give my soul to satan and she, Cynthia comes up behind him and shoots him.
0: <laughs> yeah, Pa had um, his hunting rifle that he set down in the middle of his shock. And you don't even see her grab the gun. You just, in the middle of him giving this big speech, the last thing he says is, Ah, give my soul to Satan! And all of a sudden you hear the gunshot. Paw drops and you see her behind him standing there with that fucking shotgun, smiling, just beaming. She's so happy with herself. And, I mean, you know, in, a, in a somewhat satisfying finale she manages to kill the entire family
1: yeah she took out this entire family in a matter of five minutes
0: yeah i mean and and she uh, yeah she's she's batshit crazy but you know what um if if she were to be discovered anytime within the next couple weeks before you know she dies from starvation or what have you um she still is a if she plays her cards right, if she regains her sanity and plays her cards right, she could easily pass it off that she was uh, taken captive and the sole survivor of this situation. So, I mean...
1: Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd still be okay.
0: She'd still be okay.
1: But I don't know. I mean, yeah, because the, the film ends with a shot of her sitting on the edge of the bed. Yeah. Just, like, kind of rocking the cradle. And then there's a shot, like, through the chair thing again that like we got at the beginning. And then the film, the, the chair... Uh, wood the wood things in the chair to make it look like kind of like she's in jail but um and then the film ends and you're left wondering like with so many questions about like what did she just what happens with her does she just stay on the island and become like them yeah uh and wait for people to show up on the island so she can kill them off does she does someone come to find her i mean i love the open ending ending because you're, you can just kind of fill in your own blanks but right. um yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a batshit crazy movie that definitely stands out among like other '80s s- slasher type films. Yeah,
0: yeah, it, um, that ending shot—I really thought it was. Um, it, it shows the amount of thought put into this as an overall entity. This this you know beginning to end, it starts with the exact same shot; it ends on of her. Yeah, it, it in a way it looks like a, a baby carriage or a baby's cradle uh with the bars in a way it looks like a prison you're right she's like she's in her own prison it signifies her own mental state uh especially after having come out of a mental ward like there's so much thought put into that 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 beginning opening and closing shot and what a different person she's become compared to who she was at the beginning of this film and what it took for her to get there so um it really is a, in a way it's a really interesting character study of her of her character even though the performance is not always there the character is very Interesting and uh, takes. uh she's quite a journey over the course of the film.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's a journey. It's definitely a journey. It's it's a it's a completely 180 degree character arc that I don't want to say it comes full circle, but it may come full circle because she was in an, she was already been it. She's already been in a, a mental institution. It's been uh, that's been very apparent. So now she's kind of back to that. You know. Part of her life which started the film so it almost does maybe more of a 360 degree character art we come back to where we started and yeah it's a very sad uh sad reality for her in terms of yeah i mean they just happened to (laughs) land on the wrong island
0: yeah 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 uh, unfortunate
1: and a lot of questions about like the family that i still have was it a true are those were those really Ma and pa's kids how did they get there
0: what got them there in the to begin with was it? I mean, what choices did they make that drove them to living this life of isolation? You know, it's almost in a way, it's kind of like when you think of movies like The Village, uh, where like the you know the, the you know smaller group of people, but the mompa obviously made the choice to. um stripped down to the bare bones and live a life but of god and nothing else no you know there's no luxuries there's no uh technology just the basics and why choosing to uh force their their children whether it be their genetically their children or these individuals who have been assigned the role of their children why why um the decision to maintain uh, this childlike existence yeah there's a lot of um Uh, interesting elements to this that that could it could have been explored but in a way i like that it wasn't because this movie does leave a lot of like as you said open-ended questions for the audience where you kind of make up your own decisions you don't necessarily need to be given every element of of the story to uh to figure it out you know
1: agreed and that's a good point I, i i wonder what was what the motivation was for keeping these adults making them act like they were 12 years old when they would have if their whole thing was to live away from civilization and they have these murderous tendencies they could have done that with these kids being able to act their age and act you know who they were i I don't know what the suppression was i can't imagine that there's a we're supposed to buy that all three of these kids had such mental deficiencies that they were easily tricked into being you know Raised as fifty-year-old, or getting to the point where they're fifty years old, thinking they're ten or eight. But I don't know. Very interesting film. I, I feel like it's definitely a must-see for horror fans. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It it, it explores it. Um,
0: though not, maybe it doesn't dive into it, but like I said, like the ideas of like Stockholm syndrome and, and um, you know, like with the children, they obviously seemed more than satisfied being there, but uh, how long did it take for that to be the case? You know, you have a lot of questions with, with um, the three children of, of why they were so willing to play this role of, of being trapped in this childlike mentality. Uh, were they happy with it? You know, yeah, it, it's a very... Um, a very interesting film. Not a lot of movies I can think of that are in a similar, you know. Um, though I think some have tried to recreate that same kind of family structure and that interesting, strange, weird backwards family structure. Mm-mm. I really think this movie is a standout. Um, and I, I agree. I think horror fans, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Don't go in expecting a shit ton of gore, but do do anticipate a very entertaining and weird experience, and it'll be worth your time.
1: It will. I agree. I wholeheartedly recommend American Gothic. I've seen the film now. Well, I watched it. I think I watched it three times for this podcast and I've seen it. I own I own the DVD. Uh, I know a Blu-ray had come out uh, a couple of years ago. I didn't get the chance to get that. But it is a film that I have no problem revisiting because I do find it highly entertaining. I do find that you do pick up. On other little subtleties, each time you watch it, I, I hadn't seen the film for a couple of years since I before I watched it again for this episode, and there were definitely things that I picked up on that I just did not notice the the first couple times I've seen it. So it it really is a interesting, intriguing, uncomfortable, often cringeworthy in a good way. film that's going to keep you keep you entertained i don't think i think the pacing of the film is spot on i don't think it ever gets boring uh i think there's the dynamic between the family and the characters that that, that's enough there to keep you entertained or keep you intrigued you're not going to get bored you're not going to check your phone it's a great film i i highly recommend it And, and it seems like it has a pretty good reputation
0: very much so, and I think it's one of those movies that now... You know, we've watched other movies from the same year. I mean, the last movie we watched was, I think, 89, and I believe this was at 87 or 88. So this movie was actually a year or two earlier and feels like it's held up 10 times better than uh, than um, uh, Memorial Park... Memorial Campground fucking Massacre. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, like, this movie, there's something... I mean, A, it's shot flawlessly and, and scored very well but it also just um it's not as restricted by its uh the, the era from which it was released it feels more timeless because it is willing to get weird it is willing to uh tap into uh some deeper darker concepts that you know the loss of a child and how she loses her child and everything that's something that people still find uncomfortable to this day and can relate to to this day and so um i think it pays off i think this movie is is definitely far more timeless than a lot of the other films we've watched
1: 100 agree and i think that has to do with the fact that you know the majority of the film takes place on an island with a family that does not believe in modern technologies so you're not going to you don't have all these outdated you know things that we would see in other films like you know huge huge computers and you know rotary phones you don't see any of that so the film definitely has a i think it's aged very well i feel like yeah. I feel like this is a film that I would I would have no problem suggesting like a younger a younger you know person maybe a teenager that's just getting into horror and wants to check out some some older horror flicks I would suggest this to them because it does not seem it does not look like, or does not seem like, it's an '80s film. It's very much still relevant. It, it's it looks great. It's held up great. So yeah, so that is American Gothic. I think we both highly enjoyed it. Highly recommend it. We're gonna do, we're gonna have our Fanny photo shoot uh, at some point. Oh, yeah. I can't
0: wait. I cannot wait. Absolutely um and so yeah that's it and and so as we said i hope that all of our listeners have taken the time to watch this movie prior it's again it's a movie that you really should experience before dissecting it uh, does not deserve um to have um have moments ruined for you uh because it's chock full of surprises so i really hope you guys took the time to watch it but yeah that's it yeah so
1: what's on the docket for next week
0: Next week, I, um, so my next choice, I really wanted to do something different. Um, so I decided to go with more of an art house film. I decided to go with a film called, um, entitled Messiah of Evil. Uh, it's a 1973 film that was directed from get this, <laughs> uh, Willard Hayuk and Gloria Katz, both of which uh, were the same team of directors that directed Howard the Duck. Oh, oh, my. oh. <laughs> okay. but this movie, this movie is really weird. This movie, um, as I said, it's very art house. It taps into the vibes of a lot of um, like the classic indies before it, like. Um, Carnival of Souls it's got a real night of the living Dead vibe but with like a cinematography style of like that early 70s like uh it's got almost like a, the Italian kind of cinematography very rich very colorful you'll see what I mean when you watch it I think you're gonna uh have you seen this one Troy
1: no I have not okay I, I have not.
0: I'm, ex- I'm excited for you to watch this yeah
1: this is going to be a first time watch for me and I always appreciate those. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm definitely excited. I'm excited we're covering something from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. I mean, we did Alice, Sweet Alice. But I, 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 it's awesome that we're kind of covering something from the earlier 70s. Yeah. Before, like, the slasher craze happened. So, yes. Yeah, so I'm excited. I definitely am excited to check it out. So if you have not seen Messiah of Evil, like me personally, I haven't seen it. Check it out before next week. Because that's mm-hmm. what we're going to be talking about. Um, and in the meantime... If you like the podcast, give us some love. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I know it just takes a second. Just hit that five star. Submit. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, interact with us uh, on the social media. We have Instagram at Dark Night of the Podcast, Facebook, Dark Night of the Podcast, Twitter, Dark Night of the Pod. We're on all of them. We're trying to get bump up the social media and get these yeah. episodes out on a regular basis. So yeah. we hope you're enjoying.
0: Yeah, and we appreciate a few of you sending some suggestions and uh, we're going to be sticking to those. We're going to be abiding by that and uh, ensuring that We get those done for you guys as well, and I I do love the idea of watching films that I have not seen, and you're pretty good with that, Troy, but I I love the idea of watching a film with you that both of us have not seen. (laughs) So uh, we do have a few good suggestions coming up, and we're going to be tapping into those, and uh, cool things coming up uh, here in the near future, Excited, uh, excited to bring you more fun content as always. Uh, so until the next episode, guys, I really hope you enjoyed our review of American Gothic. What a classic with some amazing performances! If you do take the time to check it out, make sure you comment on our
1: pages and let us know what you think. Absolutely, and again, thank you for thank you for for listening. We we appreciate it. Absolutely. and we will be back next week with Messiah of Evil.
0: Perfect. Until then. From one fanny to
1: another, Troy. Or from one Cheryl to another. (laughs) (laughs) From
0: from from one one Cheryl Cheryl. to a Cynthia. Two disposable women (laughs) (laughs) who who do not do anything to help anybody. No,
1: no. (laughs) All right. Good night, everyone.
0: Good night.